This is a Hive Mind Studio production. Hello, gods and goblins, deities and deviants, and my fellow what the fucks. You're listening to Playing with Advantage, the informative podcast for the various aspects of the tabletop role playing genre. I, as always, am Kenneth Moffat, the Southern GM. And with me, we have the usual suspects, James Bardwell. Well, hello. And Brody, the Elder Fenris. Hello. Hello. And uh, as always, guys, I'm looking forward to this one because we'll be discussing our topic for the day are the. I just blanked. I was about pillars to say, of RPGs. I, I forgot. I forgot the word pillar. I couldn't. I was about to say pillow. I could wait. What is it called? The, <laughs> the pillows of RPGs. On this special episode, <laughs> the pillows of RPG. Something tells me the druid wants a very soft pillow. No, uh, but yeah, there are three pillars, so to speak, or three foundational columns, or three foundations that most uh, role playing games are built upon. And the more or the least that your dungeon master and players lean into those pillars will determine the the experience you'll have in the game. They're kind of like the sliders on the little character generators yes. for a lot of a lot of video games. You just adjust those to get the specific experience you're after. And what might those pillars be, you ask? <laughs> uh, those would be the uh, combat, exploration, and then I've seen social interaction or role-playing. Yeah, I mean, it's the same intent. I, I've actually had to stop and I actually had to think about this this week. Like, what are the ones that I lean into the most? Like, what do I, in my games, what are, what are some things that I, you know, do I lean more into heavy combat? Am I more heavy role play? Do I want, like, them to explore more? And the thing is, I've seen systems that are built towards very specific ones. Like, uh, there's this one, I, it's, it's a, I forget the name of it suddenly, but it's a survival the entire thing is you're exploring and trying to survive in like this hostile environment. Literally, each session is a different day, uh, and it's kind of an interesting thing. That that's I I prefer more of the the more fluid like open role play type things. And, you know, I do say that fifth edition is a system that allows for that, but there are many other editions where it's more free form. You can do what you want with it. The one you just mentioned just sounds like Life the Simulator. <laughs> I don't want to play that. I don't either. I don't. Can, I don't. Can I re-roll my character in that one, please? Please. I think I think I may have died in character creation. <laughs> At least a little part of me. Um, I really like the systems that lean into the social interaction slash role play. That is my favorite part of the game. Um, my games tend to skew heavily towards role play. We do combat, um, you know, probably at least once an episode. Um, but for me, that's just that's just balance, you yeah. know. It, you do need to have all three of these pillars in some arrangement. Like if you if you just completely issue something and leave it out, it's going to be felt. As the the history major in me, I think the concept of pillar is actually pretty interesting because you know uh, everyone will sit back in for a history lesson here. During the, I literally leaned back in my chair when you said that. <laughs> I was like, "Ooh, a story." So in the ancient ancient times, like ancient Greek, ancient Rome, and any any civilization where pillars were used as a form of like uh structural integrity that believe it or not folks walls as we know them relatively a new concept in the modern world so the pillars were used to hold up like massive stone roofs and things where the well those pillars had to be pretty uniform uh to maintain a certain uh height and level if not if let's say one pillar was not as tall as the other or if two others were not as tall that uh, that would actually cause the roof not to sit right. And because it's all mainly stone, 
pressure would be different and you'll actually get cracks and things. And that's actually one thought is what happened to the, uh, the Parthenon that used to stay in ancient, uh, in ancient Greece was that some of the, uh, the foundations were not properly set and the pillars were not all uniform across the top actually caused it to collapse in on itself. Hmm. So much like a role-playing game, I guess, if not all the pillars are supporting the right amounts or if one is too heavily into it, there is a chance if your foundation is not strong enough, it could crumble your entire game. I've seen that happen. It all needs to be structurally sound. I think like a lot of that, though, is indicative of what your party and your GM is trying to get out of the game. Yes. Because I don't... I, one of the, Probably the one of the three I have the biggest issue with implementing is ex- exploration. Like, combat's fairly easy to do. That's just numbers for yeah. the most part. You know, the role-playing is natural for me. Uh, and, like, I've seen a lot of players open up to the role-playing during the game, and within a year, they're... They're doing fantastic things, like Ashley that plays with us on Wednesday night. Oh, God, yes. She started role-playing, like, literally this campaign, that first campaign we played with them. And by the end of it, like, they're just throwing all the the awesome references and stuff at the wall, having fun. But exploration. Like, how would you describe exploration being implemented in a game, guys? I, that's the one I have most trouble with. I do, too. I I have a unique way about this, because in my mind, exploration is not just go here, find thing. I, I use exploration as um, exposition. And so I'll have bits of hidden history and bits of hidden story that if the players figure it out or if they learn, it'll make their adventure, it'll make like some aspect easier. It'll give them some insight. But if they don't have that, it's not going to you know stop them from doing that. It'll just they'll have to take a different, a different route. Pretty much the only, I guess, a real application I have for exploration is um, mostly monologue. It's descriptions and stuff. And I'm, I like, I've been playing this game for a really long time, and I'm not sure that that's the way that's supposed to be done. <laughs> um, I, I just don't really know, you know, how other people implement that in the game. Like, by exploration, do you mean giving them a reason to travel around? Is it the uh, description of the traveling? Uh, a lot of mine comes down to, I I don't like the whole thing of, you. okay, uh you know, there's going to, you have to have a encounter at this point at this time. Like every time my players will like do a, a long-term travel, be it a day or a week across my world, I have what I call travel roles, essentially a, a luck roll for D and D where if they roll 10 or above, nothing bad happens that day. You complete the day travel fine. Nothing occurs. They roll underneath a 10. I go, okay, cool. Uh, how badly did you not roll a 10? Well, I've got this whole list of things, and some of which is uh, uh, come across, you know, come across ancient set of ruins, or uh, the road collapses in front of you into an ancient mine that I mean, is part of a dwarven uh, uh, complex and that kind of stuff. And then that gives them a chance to go explore the world more. And a lot of times they'll offer questions that will help me kind of like, you know, well, you said this was a dwarven structure, right? Yeah. Does that mean this was a mining camp? Do they have maybe a vault or something? And then suddenly, hey, there's a vault here somewhere. You guys have to find it, that kind of thing. Hmm. What uh, what would you say is the pillar that you lean on the heaviest? Role play. Role play. Role Same play. here. Yeah. Combat. Combat. You do have so you do have really really strong combats in your game. And uh, I remember the first year Sagande we did, which wasn't streamed or anything. I remember us we would talk about it after the game. Me and my son Xander. Like it is amazing how we felt like we might die. This this could be it. Almost every combat, but always pulled through. 
like resources were used up. We as players were kind of like tense and exhausted afterwards, you know, and, but it was that, that perfect line to toe. And that, that's actually kind of hard to do to get that balance right consistently. That for me comes from a wargaming background, which I mean, D&D's roots originate from wargaming. So it's kind of easy for me to, um, like, I, I, I'm mostly aware of my players' abilities, their suite of, of features and their spells, their tools, their weapons. I know what they're capable of, and I tailor my combat encounters to be um, some some disagree with this, but I I fully make my things to be fight or flight situations, and it's up to, for you to figure out which is which. But most of the time, the enc- the encounters are winnable. Um, like only in rare circumstances when you just like, oh, we stumbled into this place. <laughs> this is a flight situation. Let's I, run. I, I was there for one of those, I, I believe, where uh, <laughs> the the big massive like I better term alligator werewolf. It's not an alligator. Demogorgon things were. <laughs> it was not an alligator. It looked like an alligator. <laughs> what was it? Uh, it was is a a blighted human. It was twisted into a bestial form. Oh, I love blight. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I I actually I I do agree. Like I, there are some like I do I do various combats. I have the ones where it's kind of made to, I guess. I guess a filler combat's the best way to say it is to have something to do to get to a story point. Uh, then you have like plans, like planned combat, that kind of stuff where I am fully wanting them to win. And then once or twice, there are times where like accidental combat where they'll try to pick a fight with something that's bigger and better than them. And I have to find a way to go, you know, back off without just going, well, you're not my worth my time. The guy turns and leaves. Thankfully the, the game I stream they're pretty good at reading a scenario like when the arcanist first showed up uh one guy was still you know free and moving around and he was like i'm, I'm not attacking this dude i'm, I'm just gonna stay here i'm gonna stay in a little hole i'm gonna hide i'll i'll pretend to be a rock he will not see me i've always kind of played like combat oriented characters up until recently here recently i've been running a lot of support stuff <clears throat> and the combat feels very different from that aspect yeah it's like it's a much wider scope um it's a little hard to deal with as as far as in relation to the just go up there and shoot at it or hit it or whatever. Playing the sport character is kind of tough, but I love it. It can like, be, yeah. You, you got to watch everybody. It's yeah. not just the guy you're hitting. Yep. Com- combat's one of those things in a role-playing game where it, you have to find that happy medium, that happy balance with it. Because there are some, like especially in early D&D, where it was just combat intensive. There were, you were... You were fighting, you were in a dungeon, you beat the thing. Okay, I got the loot, go get better weapons, come back and fight. Fight, fight, fight. And that's fine. Those are great. But I'm not a dungeon crawl kind of player. I'm not a dungeon crawl GM. Uh, Like, I was in a game where we played for over three months and nary a weapon was drawn and no combat role was ever made. Every role was made for role play purposes. And that was one of my favorite experiences as a player was just sitting there talking through everything. And we were go like we were dealing with villains with and who people who were antagonists against us. But we approached them a certain way. We would you know kind of plan things out and talk about it. Now at any point we were ready to like draw swords that kind of stuff. But I love when when players try to find that. I, I'm very much for finding the alternative path. Like all of my big boss fights, every big thing that I plan for, there is a path to victory that is not just you know attack this thing over and over and over again. Yeah. 
Like there was one where uh, this entity was being kept in a lighthouse, and there was this whole big thing about he was drawing on the power of the light and this and the other because there were uh, runes etched around the curve of the lens of the light that was refracting the light back into him, making him powerful. Well, you could either dispel the rune, you could adjust the light. There was all kinds of other things. And one player just walked up and shattered the lens of the lighthouse, which basically stopped the magic. And this thing got so, you know, got like, you know, halved in power. And I, I like finding, I like, I guess you could call them a video game combat where there's yeah. always that. It may not be obvious to you, but there's a way to help. Yeah. Besides just walking look up for the glowing spot. Look for the glow. That's it. Yeah. Look I for think, the glowing spot. I think one of the, one of the coolest things I've ever done to kind of, keep combat from getting to that swing hit swing hit rut uh we took a big map that i had set up with various types of terrain there was lava there was water you know land wreckage locked doors you know just there was a lot of stuff on this field and we divided it into six parts and uh this was like this coliseum type game in this in this world we were in uh, and people spectated this you know by the by the thousands and thousands uh, but the, uh, their team went into this six separated segments against this other team. And once at the top of the round, we rolled a dice, a D6, and that's where this flag would appear. Okay. And you had to have more people on the flag at the end of the round than the other team. Ah, okay. So it wasn't just about, you know, hit, hit, hit at that point. It's like, sure, you know, getting somebody tied up in Malie is is beneficial to keep that person off the the uh, objective, but that mean also means you have to have more people already there than yeah. them. So it added an, another element of strategy to that. And like, I, I really love when a DM does a little something extra with combat. Yeah, because you can get in a rut, just you know, swing, swing, swing. Oh, it's hard for me to keep combat interesting because I try to. I try to be a little. I, I catch myself sometimes being like, "Oh, I didn't describe that 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 swing." <laughs> It's like uh, I hit, okay, roll damage, and it's like, all right, next person's like, oh crap, it's like no, nothing was said at that moment. I should have said something, like you know, it, your your blade hit, but it didn't didn't carve deep enough into the hide or whatever. Uh, so what I the thing that excites me the most in terms of like combat is like you know rando combats with like you know some thieves or like a random beast or something. Those are fine to be a little less exciting. I yeah. mean, it's. It's kind of helped there there to help facilitate things, or it may just be a random encounter. Like, oh, uh, we walked down this alley and we should we caught some people trying to mug somebody. It's like, oops, here's combat. <laughs> uh, I really like to make my boss fights exciting. Yes. Like, yeah, I give, uh, I <laughs> I like giving my my boss enemies uh, specific or special mechanics that makes it makes my players think on their toes I, I like like even if it's just straight out of the book i'll modify it yeah to give it something some kind of ability like oh that thing doesn't normally do that what is what is this look i, I will admit since uh that one episode of critical role uh, recently with mercer any of my big pads that are like melee fighters one of the legendary actions is now uh, basically move up to half their speed without provoking a tax opportunity and get a free attack is that quick, foom, 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 like, you know, yeah, this guy's he's a badass fighter. He can move around, that kind of stuff. Like, I, I love, I have so many homebrewed, like, legendary actions and layer actions and that kind of stuff. I literally have an app on my phone that lets me uh, create monsters, and I almost use that exclusively now. Like, my guys, 
I'll base it often on, on I'll base a creature on something from the handbook, yep. but it's almost never just that creature straight like, from the handbook. I, I use Tetracube. I'll go and take, okay, this is the base idea, uh, this, you know, ancient red dragon. Uh actually I'm gonna say this not you know, Thordak. No, uh this this uh this, you know, this uh ancient orc warrior. Well now we're gonna give him, you know, a twenty AC and he has these abilities. Uh, he, you know, any weapon he has, it gets the the savage feet, and this just add all this stuff into it. I'll print it off and have an actual like official looking, you know, character sheet now for it. Because that that is, I always try to have something like some, even have to quickly like write it down, something that I can go to and go, okay, this is his HP, this is his AC. I don't want to, because I've done before where I'll forget what their stats are, and then they're either dealing more damage than they're supposed to, or that kind of stuff. Which I mean, as a GM, you're you're fudging numbers all the time. But there still should be some baseline of normalcy to go off of it's also really hard to keep track of everything in the heat of the moment oh dear god yes there's a, a number of times where i forget things i forget layer <laughs> actions are a oh, thing oh my god yeah and i'm like oh shit he should have been doing stuff because the layer should be reacting to the party there was there was one fight i forgot legendary resistances <laughs> i've done that so many times look down oh he's he's supposed he to should, be resisting yep, yep, this yep, yep. Or, you know, the, he's immune to this damage, or, you know, he has blindsight, or can't be knocked, and this whole stuff. So that's the why conditions, I, like, I miss the conditions Miss the lot. conditions. Yeah, there's just so much. And Remember your actions. Remember. Re, <laughs> Look at your sheet. That's It's there for a reason. Action economy is not just for your players. <laughs> <laughs> Monsters get cool stuff, too. Yes, they do. Uh, and, and that's what makes combat, you know, interesting. Now, I, I really just started playing in, in the GURP system. And GURPS had uh, variant rules to allow for more unusual uh, combat. Like you could do things where, like, you take a running jump off of a uh, off of a, of a table and try to slam your weapon into somebody, and that gave like, okay, well, it gets this to the roll, this to the damage dice, that kind of stuff. And I, I tried to bring that into my D and D campaign. Like there was one one game the Natural Ones played where uh, Derek's character Sorndren. Literally was being flown in, held on by a dragon, and dropped him like with momentum. He's like, "Well, if I've if if he's flying this direction, let's me go. Can momentum carry me this far? So I slam into this guy to knock them down. And I'm sitting there going, "Okay, yeah, I need you. I need an acrobatics check. I need an athletics check. I need a con saving throw. Uh, and now you realize because this is fall damage. Whatever we're going to add that fall damage to the damage dealt, but then you're going to take that much for fall damage." And we just sat there, and it was, it, you know, he slammed around the guy, the guy, basically tore the guy's legs off as he hit. Just it was this whole big thing like that. Oh my that. gosh. But it added more to the combat than just, okay, yeah, make a d20 roll. Here's one of the things that kind of irritates me a little bit about this, specifically the rigidity of, of D&D. Like it's, it's very um, rules heavy. You know, you're, you have to, there's, a, there's rules that you have to adhere to by the mechanics of the system. Yeah. And, a lot of times players will ask to do things that the mechanics don't reflect. And you're you're like, I don't even know how that's supposed to work. <laughs> so sometimes I'll just, I hand wave things and I can see, look across the table. There's a, sometimes some of them, players will go, they'll furrow their brow. And it's like, that's not supposed to work like that. It's like, no, in this instance, I'm, I'm just going to hand wave things and we're just going to let it uh, play out as is. I feel like I'm often the person causing the, we've got to just on the fly, figure out how this works. And then there's like a lots of squinted eyes because I have done the bull poop. Well, it, you shouldn't, 
shouldn't be frowned at for thinking outside of the box. Exactly. I, I do that a lot as a player. As a DM, I feel bad about it because you just kill characters uh, <laughs> if you do too much of that. I, I'm very much a, a student of Brendan Lee Mulligan's yes, but. Like, okay, I see what you're trying to do. Now, we can find something close to that, but it may not be exactly what you're wanting it to be. And most players will usually go, okay, that's fine. As long as they can get the general idea of what they're wanting to do with their actions across, 99% of players are happy with that. I do have the one percent. no, I want to do this thing exactly like I'm doing it. Okay, cool. Roll for it. That's not one. You fall to your death. Oh, for, for me, because like most of the games that I run now are like paid games. So if a, if a player wants to do something and there's not a specific straightforward rule set for it, if me or them, either one, can kind of make sense of a way to do it, I usually let that go. Yeah. I mean, th- those people are there to have a good experience, to have fun. It is my job in that specific situation to kind of help entertain them. So if we can make it make sense structurally, either one of us, I, I'm generally okay with that. A, a thing that I come across for combat is that there are some times where it doesn't feel, oh, let's say, for instance, my natural ones, level 15 right now. Uh, there was a recent thing where they came across, it was a group of goblins that was bothering something. And now I'm like, okay, I can make them sit here and literally slog through these goblins. At level 15, these goblins are a CR one quarter. Yeah. I'm like, no. If you hit them, they're dead. It's yep. one of those things where you care more about the story of the combat, yeah. Than like you know, because like uh, uh, Grimm's uh, Jeff's character Grimm was like, oh, I pick one up and like slam him into another. Yeah, you can do that. This thing's like, uh, uh, roll me, just roll me a check to grab him. Uh, you you got him. It starts yeah, that kind of stuff. Occasionally, I believe you should have encounters that are just meant to let your party flex and have fun with what they've yes. built. Yes, get make them have minion rules basically. Yes, exactly. Yes. I love. I, I had to look look those up. I love the minion rules, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I also do agree that there are certain times uh, where a role just isn't called for. Correct. Like you're you're a, a half orc barbarian with a twenty strength, and you want to break down this old door that's you know not you know that's just got a small lock on it. Sure, that's fine. Now, if there's like a couple of beams across the back of it and a magic lock or something, that's different. We'll roll for that. But if it's just a simple door, I can break down a simple door. That's not that hard. Whether in combat or in role play, a role is required if the result is in question. Yes. If it's not in question, let them have fun with it. If, yeah. If there's a if there's the possibility of failure is present, that's when you should roll. Yeah. Basically, the other way. If if the that. bard is trying to get a if the bard is trying to get a better price for gold from a longtime NPC friend that they've done a lot of stuff for. And he's just like, do us a solid. I'm not gonna make you roll for that. This is your you've you've saved this NPC from you know certain death. You've brought him ancient magical artifacts and sold for him at penny you know at coppers on the gold piece. You you want to buy that instead of two thousand uh, fifteen hundred? Sure, my friend, it is yours. Take it. Yeah. You charge him for every every cent, don't you, bro? <laughs> Well, it depends on who it is. I'm sitting there. I was thinking about Magnus, and I was like, mm, "This is a shrewd businessman." So he's going to get coin. Uh, one way I, or you the notice other. I didn't haggle with Magnus. Yeah, <laughs> he but, said he was giving us the the friends and family discount. That's good enough. I want especially when it comes to combat. I think you have to try to make it more than ju- you have to make it become more than just hit damage past turn. Yeah, like I I do that with like uh, um. A description that, like, uh, I'll, I'll pick on our, our tech goblin here. The one time I'm, I did that, uh, that was the first game ever, ever 
Oh, God, no, the Tech Goblin's gone. Okay. I, I thought, yeah. Well, fine, then. I'll still pick on him. He can't defend himself now. Uh, but it was the, the first game ever ran here at the Hive was that one shot uh, where it ended up, y'all faced the the ancient, the ancient young green dragon and that kind of stuff, and Matt got the last hit. And I did the whole description where, uh, you know, the, the monk hiding behind the, the rock, uh, he sees an opening, he's like, I got to do this, runs out, flying leap, you know, to the side, just this big epic description of this guy literally punching a dragon to death. Uh, and this, as instead of, okay, uh, your your attack hits, roll damage, that is the lethal amount, the dragon is dead. Uh, I love doing that. Like, pretty much every combat I do descriptive. Like, I, I'll give the blow-by-blow blow summary, like, at the end of the round a lot of yeah. times. Um, that's, that's also pretty trying on a GM though. Cause like to keep every blow described as something that sounds unique and cool, that's a lot of work. It is <laughs> worth it, but that's a lot of work. And that, that's why I've taken the, the Mercer approach of, of giving my, my players basically, okay, how do you know, how does this happen? How do you want to do this? And they'll take, and they'll, they'll, they'll either fully describe it themselves or they'll give a small, small description I can then take and build upon. Uh, and yeah, but it's, it is, it I is do that for final strikes. Oh yeah. Like one of my favorite things to do for like, you know, if the, the attack misses, I'm like, you know, you just glance off the armor or the, the, the carapace is too tough, that kind of stuff, which we, we should do a discussion of exactly what is meant by armor class because people think, oh, that's, you know, I, I missed the roll. I didn't hit him. No, no, no. It's not that you missed them. It's just that your blow wasn't, it was enough. ineffective. It was ineffective. I really, really like the soak system when it comes to to how that's handled. And I'm 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 working on a supernatural inspired game now and we're gonna use the soak system on that. Uh, in GURPS combat you have three roles. You have your attack roll, your dodge roll, and then you have DR, which is your your damage reduction that your armor and stuff gives you. It's a lot harder to hit something in GURPS than you think, but it's a lot more because you, you only get like one point of health at a time. Oh god. So like a, a character that's equivalent to level fifteen, you only have like fifteen points of health. So yeah, the damage is more uh, more immediate. But yeah, uh, so combat like combat is probably the it is the the pillar that even like I myself still to this day that I struggle with the most trying to find that balance between what is enough combat, what is too much combat, what is a fun combat. That's the main thing you don't want. You don't want to be like you know into a combat and look over and see all your players sitting there like, okay, my turn, I guess. Another hard engaged. thing is is them having to wait on turns. Yes. Um that one of the easiest interest killers for me is if it takes half an hour to get back to my turn and around the combat. Like that's a zero session thing for me. I talk to people in zero sessions like I'm going to let you know whose turn it is, who's on deck. Yep. So that when I say it's your turn, you need to kind of have a really good idea of what you want to do. You know, don't wait till it's your turn to start looking for the spell to see if that spell does what you want it to do and all that. Do that while you're waiting. Yeah, spellcasters, know your spells before it gets to your turn and know what you're going to do. Which, I mean, things happen in the middle of combat. Some dude that you were probably going to hit, he may die. And then you're like, oh, well, now I don't know what to do with my turn. It, I mean, I hate to even say it that, but you kind of have to be a little on your toes yeah. to pay attention that's one of my big things is, is pay attention. One of the things I'm finding out um, playing a more supporty magic usury kind of characters is the be ready and then have a backup ready for if you're ready, it doesn't get to happen. Yeah. Like Ar- Artie's like Artie had two or three go-to like kind of physical like combat spells. 
But then if something happened, my first question would always be, okay, who needs health? Anybody anybody low on health? Yeah. That was always my plan B. Then plan C was, okay, nobody needs health. Um, All right. Uh, that guy there, uh, guiding bolt. Okay, cool. That, that, that was it, yeah. Guiding yeah. bolt right up the butt. <laughs> That's not where I put my bolts. What, what kind? That's an Ashley Johnson original. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been, been a, a while. while. We'll send you your quarter later. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, now the thing is, combat, like I said, combat is the one where a lot of, like myself, a lot of GMs kind of falter. But I think the one that is the probably the scariest of those pillars is the role playing aspect. Mm, that's my comfort zone, and that's that's me. I love I love role play. I love building. You know, I love pulling out that the the, the trauma from my players. I can later sprinkle into them into the, into the story. <laughs> Little to, trauma sprinkles. Oh, what about second trauma? Yeah, <laughs> those are evil DM laughs. i was about to say uh, i when it comes to like the role play part i don't really engage with the players unless they're specifically talking to an npc i a lot of times i sit back and let them kind of guide things because they most for the most part they strike up conversations with each other and if they're if i'm not actively describing something and I'm watching them like banter back and forth that they're talking about something. I'll just lean back and watch. And then, you know, as I see the conversations kind of dying down, then I'll be like, oh, so as the day progresses, you know, stuff like that. Something, because I've got two of my guys are kind of uh, real big into the former uh, Thieves Guild of one of my, of one of my cities in, in this part. And they're trying to like find like remnants of it and get that information. So the first thing they'll do, like when they walk into a new town, a new area, they'll go, well, what are people talking about? Like, what's the, what's the general kind of like, uh, doldrums? What, what are people talking about? What can we, what can we hear? We can proceed. That's a good one. Uh, and so I'll make them make a roll. And if they roll, if they don't roll high enough, I'm like, you just hear, you hear a couple of guys, look, mate, I paid you two gold for this melon. Uh, I, I wanted it to be fresh. You didn't pay the fresh, t- that kind of stuff. My chickens aren't laying this season. But if they get something really high, you might hear like, yeah, mate, look, I had a friend. He was out walking near that old well, and I swear to he said he saw a ghost out there, Matt. Just kind of like things like that, which that could lead to exploration later. But it's a way to kind of pull them into the world and go, wait a second. They said something, you know, or or like they rolled a natural 20 of their perception. You hear, all right, mate, we're going to break into the old uh, coterie crypt tonight, right? Yeah, I hear they got tons of gold and weapons down there, and then boom, that's something there. Coterie. That's what we want. We want those guys. Let's go See, for I them. I feel like that follows really falls really well under exploration. Yeah. More than role play, but that is a way to use role play to pull them into yeah. exploration. So you can use role play. Uh, you can use actually. You can use combat to pull people into role play, which I've seen done. It's amazing. Oh yeah. You can use uh, actually. It's kind of interesting. Each one of the each one of these kind of can lead into the other. Yeah. Good combat leads to role play, leads to exploration, leads to more combat. That it's, kind of it's, stuff. It's it's like when you change any scene, you need to have a healthy segue. Yes. Something that will pull you in a natural way into the other scene. Yes. Uh, I have trouble with pillar. that segueing. Really? To me, it feels like sometimes it doesn't feel natural. Huh. Like it, it feels a little too um, scripted. I don't want to say scripted, but it. I don't know the right word. That uh, I haven't really gotten that impression playing with you. Like uh, it, it, I guess I must hide it very well. well you're doing really well. Like, I mean, there, there are times the natural ones where we'll be doing something and. Uh, like I will admit, yeah, like it's almost like they open a door and boom, there's combat. Uh, it's like that moment of where this come from. I wasn't expecting this kind of thing. Instead of, but it's more kind of like with like role play that kind of stuff. 
where you're you're you set a tone, you know, conversation progressing, things are happening, then all of a sudden out of you're you're in the left field and you're not really sure how this happened. Like how did we get here from there? There was no like segueing scene. We just went from you know, we were in the Shire and now suddenly we're on Mount Mordor and I got my ring, my finger's gone. What's going on here? What happened? We we went from A to Z. Where's the rest of the middle? <laughs> yeah. Uh I I when in terms of like the role play aspect, I really enjoy the juicy, uh, tense moments that come from certain situations. Look, dude, when- I, I, I have to just bring that because I will this between the two of you, this has gone into into my folder of best moments of role play, and I even, I forgot who who you were talking to was Cash, but you were talking to as like the the soldier, the, the guard, castigator, the castigator, yeah. yeah. Uh, I Viper. thought he was about to when, brother when, Viper, brother Viper, when he That's reached out mention. his hand. I thought you were going to grab his hand and stab him in the neck. I'll, there I'll was just honest. this tension. I, I also had the moment where I was like, "Do I stab this guy in the <laughs> neck?" Right? Like I was. But God, that scene, the role play in there was so full. It was just, and I'm sitting there going, like, I'm on literally on the, I'm, I'm, I've, I'm in the middle of a commander game. I've stopped, look, I'm stopped playing. I've looked at my phone, going, is, is he about to? Don't, don't shake his hand, Jake. Don't, 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 don't do it. He's going, oh, oh, okay, they're fine, they're okay. That that my role turn? play, okay. that role play was strong enough to change a perception my character has. And like when you get to see a paradigm shift in a character in real time, that's really cool. Yes. Like I enjoyed the heck out of that because I Cash hates the Legion, cannot stand them. Serious backstory elements, which by the way, here I brought oh, yes. this. Oh yes, thank you. I need to. I, I need to read this. this backstory for you to take a look at. I need to um, read this. But like in that moment, um, and Brody does this to me all the damn time. <laughs> like I'll have, I'll have stuff figured out and ready to go. And then he will throw shit at me and I have to reconsider things on the fly. And I'm like, all right, this is where these emotions and feelings are based out of. This is what's been presented to me. Now I have to question it. So what do I do with this situation in real time while my character mulls this over <laughs> In the middle of the game, yeah. like, and then that makes for really good role play. Because that's the thing, you, you as the player, you've got you know a few minutes to sit there and mull things over, but in in the timeline of the story, you've got seconds. To, yeah, and six of them, six of them. So you have to figure out what's happening, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I knew how tense that was going to be the moment uh, they walked in and I described who they were, because it, all, almost everybody in the party has some connection in some way to their backstory involving this, this group of this faction basically. And when it came up, I was like, they've already had one really bad run in. (laughs) It's like, I I, want to see how this goes. Cause I mean, fight could break out. And I chose flight immediately. I left when I saw him. Like that's one of the, that's one of the places where you get that fight. You pick fight or you pick flight. And sometimes it's okay to pick flight, and I did. I left. Uh, Matt's character Draven had to come talk me into coming back, and that was good too. Like he he had a moment where he was like, "Whatever you choose to do, I will, I will support you. I will back you up." That that tension though was just like, yeah, it it was even over like just watching the stream and being like thirty seconds behind. That tension was like palpable, like you could see it in the air. I'm just like, see. Don't shake, don't, don't shake his hand, Cash. He's going, he going to kill you. Don't shake his hand, Cash. It's just so funny, too, because uh, he he put on an air of, of uh, trust. 
he he made himself vulnerable. He took his helmet off. He made himself vulnerable. And when you make yourself vulnerable, you get to see who people really are. And like, you made me have to decide who Cash was in that moment. Do I hold on to that hatred? Or do I see if this vulnerability takes us somewhere special? Casey on the other end of the table is going, his name is Viper. <laughs> yeah. Viper. Viper. <laughs> his name is Snake, James. <laughs> Don't listen. And I, I was giving you the, the you asshole look the whole time, too. But I, I was like, Brody. <laughs> I love that. Because here recently with the Natural Ones, they, uh, which I can now give this part of the story away because they figured it out. This ancient race called the Draconians have come back. And they are being, basically, they, they are being bioengineered with uh, parts of a long forgotten dragon god. This is the god, this is the, the dragon god of the gym dragons. Mm. And so Ben, who was playing a gym dragon, was like, well, how can they have the same, the same, like, you know, essence that I have, this, that, and the other? He's like, wait a second. So they have this amulet, right? Is the amulet the thing made of the gym dragon, this whole thing? And he was certain that this talisman carried a piece of the dragon god. And that, that's when we make contact with them, this, that, and the other. It's like, okay, cool. And get all this stuff together into this massive, ancient, this powerful ritual on, you know, on the talisman. will give us all the answers we want to. And he did it, and I told him what the, I gave him all the information except for what he wanted. This was not part of this. This talisman was just made of ancient mithril. Now, it was corrupted by the blood of a uh, lich, but this is not the part. And he was like, wait, what? Like, yeah, this is not the part of that. You were wrong. He's like, it, 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 and then he has to, he's like scrambling and stuff, but that he goes, okay, so this is not the question. This is not the answers I need. Okay. Well, that's this part. Let's go to this part then maybe. And then it was, it was interesting to see the shift from him. Like he said, a paradigm shift going from, I'm so sure. Wait, what? Okay. No, you're right. That didn't make sense. Now we're going to go with this path. And that was the path that led him down the path that they're on, which was the, all the answers they wanted. It's that moment of them going, it's, it's, it's like a fight or flight. You could either look at that and go, I was wrong. Okay. Um, I, I don't know what I'm doing then. Or they go, wait, I was wrong. Cool. Let's attack from this angle. And you, you see that and it's great because I love, I love Ben. He's the guy that plays Rakara. He was one of the ones starting out. He was not as strong as a role player, but just to see him like open up and have, he's become like one of my, and he's, I get so many questions a week from this guy. Like, Hey, you mentioned this about the draconians or you said this about Krillot. Would Rakara know this? Like his question today was, um, Hey, uh, what do the draconian, the dragon, the Krillotians, dragonborns think about the, the Drake wardens? Are there any Drake wardens on Krillot? I'm sitting here going, I, I don't know. I mean, I've never thought about that. It's just a subclass in my mind. So now I'm having to do this whole thing where, okay, do do Dragonborn hold Drake Wards in a different esteem than other races do because they're literally you're paired with a draconic entity and this whole and I'm just sitting there going Ben why are you making me do so much thinking about this <laughs> I, <laughs> love, I love it players, I love it I love when I love when players ask you would my character know yes because when they ask you would my character know that means they're trying to decide how their character feels about something how they want to treat something. They are in the mindset to role play well, and they are purposefully not trying to metagame. I love exactly, that. yeah. I, I love that. I love when they when they ask that. I go, I, I go. Would your character know this? Or if you can give me a reason why your character would know this, or a path that they would know to get this information, sure, we can let something happen. As opposed to, nope, you don't know it. Yeah, it gives me unfettered joy when after a game, like even a day or that the following night. 
uh, when a player will will text me and be like, uh, so this thing, I want to start doing this, or uh, I would like to start researching this or looking into this. And like you said, like when Ben was, was asking questions, yeah. it's like, I love it because that means that uh, my investment hooks are there. Yeah. They're also thinking about their character outside a game to further their own plot or their own backstory or something of that nature that may, uh, something that may have come up in the game. Like for instance, my Friday night group, they had a moment of really good role play. They had just come from a, (laughs) a very harrowing fight against shadow versions of themselves. Mm, That sounds like fun. And, um, it was harsh. Uh, Two of the party members were in death saves. One was dead, and uh, the rest of the party was was trying to survive. And they they managed to win. They survived. They they got the the fallen character came back, and when they came back to their place of rest, they were just haggard. They it, it triggered a whole cascade of RP moments. Like shout out to Daniel and Beck, Daniel had a moment where he was like his character was always like happy upbeat yeah. and everything and he had a sincere moment of we failed like we won but this was a failure like we we were beaten yeah. horribly and he used that to converse with the other players the other characters like the default the dead character he was like you know you died like this was a failure on me i i should have been there i should have been stronger like and i was like oh this is so good yeah i just sat back and the emotions were flowing the after that session i remember like all the players got out of session and we all wound up standing in the front till well we were up there for a couple hours it seems like and listening to them talk about all the interactions from that like with with beck's character and the introspection there and like they're the protector and something i didn't realize during that scene uh beck's character got held they were held facing the character that died mm-hmm. and a core of Beck's core tenet of Beck's character is protection. Like their whole class is built around. I'll take this damage for you. Let me take that hit, that kind of stuff. And they are held and having to stare and watch at one of the people that they want to protect get killed. Like failed all the death says dead. You yeah. know, can you imagine a character that's a core tenet of their identity having to watch that happen? And it, it came into play again Friday night, the following after that. Yeah. Uh, there was the the other squishy member of the party is the as a rogue, and they were going to go scout because there was danger afoot, yeah. and it was nighttime, it was raining, and they were both like, no chances this time. Like, uh, the druid was like, pass without a trace, let's stealth. They, they were in the <laughs> 30s for their stealth, and I was like... Good job, guys. That is a fantastic example of literally building character because you take an in-game moment, and then this time it was actually combat. It, it was combat that spurred this huge RP moment, but you see characters change in real yeah. time. That's building character, yeah. literally. There was a game I was I was running uh, in my apartment where one of my players, I, I say one of my players, uh, they were still like relatively low level. like They were like level three, I think. Maybe, no, they were level five because the Paladin had just gotten this, the extra attack level five and there was a, a set of ruins in the nearby world i had my story where this ancient thing lived in they were supposed to go later on and you know uh later on and like get an information from it 
And there's this whole thing where they, they go there, they stumble across it, and I guess through some unlucky natural 20s, they're suddenly in combat with this essentially star spawn creature, this like Cthulhu-esque creature. And like a party of five, two were dropped within the first three rounds. One guy was in death saves, and it was just the cleric and the paladin. And the paladin had a, a wand of force. You could like throw up the wall of force a couple times a day. And so he put that up behind him with the rest of his party on the other side and then proceeded to essentially bargain with this Eldritch entity. Uh, like he was, we, we didn't look, this, this was a big mistake. We didn't know what was happening. This, that, the other and amazing role play, amazing, you know, roles were made. And in the end, the entity went, what will you give me to let them go? Mm-hmm. And he, and it led to this whole big thing where he basically uh, subclassed into uh, warlock where, you know, I had totally goes, yeah, I when I said that, I mean, cause he wanted a multi-class. He wanted to build this whole, like the paladin hex blade build, but he can never figure out. And he wanted in story a way to do it. And this was me kind of giving that. And he caught on to it. And in the end, it was kind of like a, a Ford kind of moment where in the end they went back and killed the thing that was forcing him to into the warlock pack. Whole big, great moment. Great story. But it was like that, where just the 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 combat and the, led to some amazing role play. That moment of where he threw the wall behind him, I said, "Okay, so, so you're going to block? No, no, it's behind me. What? I'm protecting them. I want to face this thing." Thought he was going to do the self sacrifice. Yeah, play. and then he began to talk to him like, "Oh, okay, this is how we can bring into a star. perfect." And then this whole yeah, it was it was a great moment. I loved it so much. One of the one of the darkest lines I've ever heard a DM utter in terms of like a role play moment inside of combat was uh, a villain standing over the unconscious body of another player character. And he looks to one of the conscious player characters and says, how much do they mean to you? <laughs> and it's like, how do you answer that? The, uh, Prepare for trauma. Montel at one point, he had, this is when he had just sacrificed himself to redirect the energy that was going to summon the Titan of Oblivion. He called like he called the god of the the god of death was there to usher like to usher him. Well, technically, it was the usurper god who he claimed his soul as his as his patron. But then he invoked a, a uh, an item he had to let him talk, commune to the actual god of death. And there was this whole big thing to where the god of death finally said, "What would it? What what would you give me to send you back? Would you lose everything you were? Would you would you give me everything that you are to go back again?" And God bless Stormy. He looked at me and goes, "No." As a DM went, <laughs> that was the right answer, my friend. And the entire, like, just the entire atmosphere changed because I was hoping he would go, yes, I'll give you, give you all that I am. I'm going to be like, that's when I would go, cool, the usurper takes you. Because, but he, he, no, he made the right choice of, no, I won't give you, I won't give up everything I am. That correct answer. You chose wisely. I very much had that thought in mind. Now the thing is uh, the 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 third tenet of this is the one I'll, I'll admit I'm the weakest on that's exploration because like you said I I build more into the the role play and that kind of stuff and they use that to explore uh, through be it look folks the reason <laughs> if you ever ever wondered why your GM loves to lore dump on you is because we want to share all this with you yeah I have so much in my notebooks that I can't share with people right now. And the one person I could share it with is now part of the game, so I can't share as much with him. And it's just, I'm like, I want to tell my story. It's partly why I'm glad I have a wizard at the table because it's like, A, nerd, yes. and B, it's like, finally, somebody that can ask the questions and be like, here you go, 
Get ready for exposition. I hope you got the notes ready. Look, the moment two of my players said they can, they they learn legend lore, the spell. I'm like, oh, thank the gods. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if any of y'all can learn that. I don't even know if that is. We'll find out. <laughs> but yeah, exploration is probably one of the more difficult ones, especially for like, because you don't just want to be the, you know, well, here's a treasure map. Go here. It's like, that was one of my least favorite parts of Skyrim where you got the little pieces of paper. It showed a picture with an X next to it. And you're like, okay, um, I, I guess I want to go do this. There was no reason to do it. That's the thing. If you do exploration, there should be a reason behind it. Uh, like a lot of times what I'll do is that there's, some, you know, somebody's been kidnapped and they're in this, this canyon. You have to go find them in the cave. There's all these caves and stuff. So you have to go literally to check and that kind of stuff. But just going, all right, uh, you guys are in a forest. Have good, good luck. The- Open sandbox worlds that have exploration still need direction yeah. for that exploration. Yeah, I know like lots of people don't like feeling like they're on the rails. One of the biggest challenges with exploration, because it works pretty good on the rails, is to make it feel like it's not on the rails. Yes. Yeah. Well, I love my uh, uh, the analogy of a, of a maglev train where it can move left to right occasionally. It can shift and move within its its confines, but it's always going in that same direction. Yeah. For me, I'll prepare important story elements, and I have an idea by default of where they can drop in, Yeah. but I always keep my eye out for the characters to be in a setting that they have created that is convenient to drop that in because it always feels more rich when they make a hole for something and you fill it. Never... Uh because that's the first thing I learned as a GM. Never have a, never have a. They have to go here to learn this. Like, I have tons of NPCs and story points that are written in such a way that they could go at any city in my in my entire world. You don't want to go. Well, they have to go to this city to meet this person. Uh, you don't don't lock in locations. Lock in people. Okay, like they have to meet this merchant. Yeah. Cool. Well, this merchant can be any merchant. It doesn't have to be, you know. That's uh, what I do. It doesn't have to be Osrin Thubblethunk, the, the gnome artificer in this city. It could be any of the merchants in your world. And like building off of that, even if the person is important and then they are important to a location, say this merchant runs out of this city. They have a storyline in this city, so he has to be there. They don't have to meet him there. No, like merchants know. travel. Yeah. Like, and they just, it's good to keep things a little fluid like that. I still want to know what the hell was going on with that Dragonborn in Jeff's game. Which Dragonborn? The, 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 the one that had one, one shop, but it was every fucking where. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Franchise. Yeah. No, no, no. It wasn't that. I, sw- I think he was an extra dimensional being, and that was a portal. His front door was a portal. Yeah. Like, we we would go to every town. Like, every town had a version of his shop. And once you walked inside, it was the same, same shop, shop everywhere. It's just all the doors led to that one place. Did he make Fantasy Walmart? Not really, because there were no windows. I think he made, like, you know, Fantasy, the restaurant at the center of the universe type stuff. <laughs> it was a really cool element. I enjoyed it. What was the freaking door chime that we hated every time we walked into it that I, we started playing? I can't remember, but I remember that uh, Ducky's character rewrote the music for him pretty much pro bono yes which is out of character so <laughs> uh, but yeah i think exploration is probably my my least favorite and the one that i struggle with the most because like i i don't i really give my players a reason to explore like they okay we're in this city oh we have to we need this thing that's at this location now that gives the reason to explore like cities and stuff but outside of that 
only because I don't have certain areas built fully up yet, and so I need time to build the things around them. Uh, but <laughs> So do you consider exploration purely physical, or would you consider someone actively looking for lore uh, as a form of exploration? I, th- I yeah. think anything that causes them to go in search of should be able to be considered as exploration. The, the, ascertention, the ascertention of, is that the right word I'm losing, using there? The gathering of knowledge. The, the obtaining. Ob- obtaining, thank you. The obtaining of knowledge, be it through physical movement or like as a wizard is off to do through the, uh, the reading of literature and books and history, I do consider that to be exploration. That's the part I yeah. love. The, when I just go, oh, lore, you need lore? Dump. Then I guess I, I in that regard, I'm, I'm doing A-OK there. Yeah. <laughs> the Supernatural-esque game that I've got in the works uh, I'm moving into dangerous territory for me with that one because uh, the exploration is such a huge part of that world. Research, you know, all that kind of stuff. And is, in legends is big. and lore differ yeah. so much. That's not necessarily one of my stronger suits. So, like, that's where I'm going to have to put in work that I haven't usually had to do so much Remind on. me, to, I have a set of cryptozoology encyclopedias I will lend to you. Oh, my God, please. That would be amazing. <laughs> I'll have to go find that. I have them. Those are probably in a box. I'll have to I'll see if I go find those for you. But I'm going to try for the first time to put the exploration pillar way up on that one yeah. because it's, again, it's a big part of that world. The obligatory research scene. Is yes. that modern? modern it is going to be modern setting, yeah. That's a little little easier then for... Yeah. Because yeah. you have more relatable places well, like, you can well, pull from. The, the internet skill is going to be really, really useful <laughs> in this one. Also, will like they have Google access food. to the... Uh, to, to the library of the men of letters and all that or yeah like it is going to be for for me canonically in the supernatural universe after the whole sam and dean last okay. episode that we won't talk about because i don't want to cry on stream <laughs> so yeah but that uh but that's exploration I, I do agree it's 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 not just you know well here's a map go explore it's also you know you're it's also gandalf in the uh in the vaults of minas tirith for 17 years, by the way, folks. Yeah, people don't realize that. Between in the part where he left Frodo after giving him the ring, going to uh, Minas Tirith, and then coming back for the whole, is it secret, is it safe? That was a 17-year gap. Good Lord. Wow. Yeah, the movie makes it seem like he just rode across the street and came back. But no, there was I was there for a day. It's a 17-year gap in that. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's, just, it's also the, uh, the, the gathering of knowledge, uh, the accumulation of it. Uh, so... In that aspect, yeah, I, I do think I'm okay with the exploration. It's just, it's just the whole, uh, you give them a map, go, what's here? What's here? What's here? And yeah. Again, it should never be that. You should never, role-playing games should never be boiled down into, I guess, their their base. You start to want to build up on them, build, add more to it, build, yeah. whether it be a, a more intuitive and uh, uh, immersive combat system or, you know, more open and inviting role-play or more, you know, in-depth lore of your world. You should always be trying to add to it, add to it, build up on it. The whole, again, yes, but. You know, maybe it's not what I should be, but we'll get there, that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, the the three pillars shouldn't, one should not be, like you said earlier, one should not be higher than the other. They should be an even, and it's hard to balance all three of them, but uh, it's it's doable. Yeah, I look at it like an, like an equalizer, like, I don't know if you ever flip through the sound settings on your TV. They'll have, like, you know, different experiences. Like, do you want a theater experience? Yeah. Are you playing a game? And I think it, I think the pillars are like that. You kind of tweak those to get the specific 
feeling you're that wanting balance. out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So in this point, in this case, I don't think balance necessarily necessarily refers to everything being the equal. Evil, yeah. yeah so evil, much equal, as yeah. everything is arranged in the best possible way for this outcome. Yes. Again, perfectly balanced <laughs> as all things, as all things should, be. should be. Yes. <laughs> so with with that, because uh, if something has a beginning and, and if it's perfectly balanced, it must have an ending. Uh, I think it's time well. to end in this episode. Uh, much like the Pillars Three, we the three of us thank you for listening <laughs> to today's episode. We the Pillars Three. <laughs> We need to get like, like a nickname, like or we're we're the uh, the tabletop trio or something like that. I don't know. Uh, the podcast pillars, I like that. <laughs> the podcast pillars. Yeah. We're, we're the PPs. Wait, no, wait a minute. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> no. I didn't sign up to this. Uh, no one signs up. No, Moffat, don't go there. Okay, so we're going to prison. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I take it back. Uh, as always, go check us out on our various social medias. The the Southern GM. I'm on Twitch. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, please go check out the hive, the hive at macomb.com, right? Yeah. Yes. Amazing, uh, amazing items. They've got some really cool merchandise for myself and some amazing merchandise for Stagande Scars of Midgard, <laughs> uh, which you folks can watch every Sunday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. And then after that, just pick over to the Southern GM's channel of Twitch mm-hmm. uh, to watch the Natural Ones Legends of Fatera. <sighs> Sparkles. <laughs> Glitter. Uh, so, yeah, thank you guys so very, very much. Because without you guys, none of this would be possible. So, thank you all so very, very much for being the pillars that hold up this entire in- enterprise. You see, I, I brought it in there. I can make it. Yay. <laughs> so, cohesion. With that, I, as always, am Kenneth Moffat, the Southern GM. I am James at the Hive. Brody, a elder fan. And as always, folks, be good to each other. We only get one shot. Later. Later.